Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Join Josh and Chuck, the guys who bring you stuff you should know, as they take a trip around the world to help you get smarter in a topsy-turvy economy. Check out the all-new Super Stuff Guide to the Economy from HowStuffWorks.com, available now exclusively on iTunes. Hello there, everybody. It's time for Tech Stuff. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And as usual, I have sitting right here next to me, senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. Except today, you're going to have to picture this in your head because yep. we're talking about pictures. Again, we just did this with the megapixels. True. I was, I was even going podcast. to say, can you picture that? And oh. then I realized, wait, no, I already did that. <laughs> so Someday your prints will come. Yeah, nice. Thank I get you. it. Yeah, <laughs> Prince, P-R-I-N-T-S. See, Paulette there did a pun. Yeah. Let's listen for him to do another one. He's oh. got two down. Let's no, 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 no. I'm, I'm stopping here because we have to get into uh, our uh, digital camera tricks. <laughs> right. And tips. And tips. Yes. Uh, and so trips. when we when we did the Megapixel um, podcast, we actually had several people write in and thank us for it. Uh, they were people who were who were shopping for digital cameras, and they were happy to hear that you know megapixels are not necessarily the end all be all when it comes to shopping for a camera. I mean, it's an important consideration, but sure. not the only one. No. And uh, so we thought we'd we'd share some information about ways to use your digital camera effectively and get the best out of it. And um, so I, uh, away we go. You want me to start? Go right ahead. Okay. So one of the the uh, big issues with taking pictures uh, with any kind of camera, really, but digital cameras in particular, are uh, it's you know you'll you'll see like pictures will come out a little blurry or it just doesn't it looks a little off. Yep. Um, it's because you really need to steady yourself before you take a picture. I mean, this is just very basic stuff. Uh, taking a picture with one hand, uh, that's probably going to give you the worst picture possible for that particular snapshot. I mean, you might get lucky and be have you know nerves of steel. But uh, really, you should use both hands. Uh, if you can prop yourself against something to hold yourself steady, that might be even better. And of course, the best choice of all is to use something like a tripod or uh, – have you seen the gorilla pods? The gorilla pods? Yeah, gorilla pods. Okay, uh, this is this is something that I think is uber cool. Gorilla, okay. gorilla pods are special tripods. They have articulated legs. Each leg is a, um, a series of ball joints, really, and huh. you can use it to set your camera on uneven surfaces to create an even uh, plane when you're taking pictures. Uh-huh. And you can even wrap them around objects like, say, a lamppost. So you wrap the little legs of the tripod around the lamppost and you can hold the, the camera up higher than you would be able to stand and of course, the best part is if you use the timer on your camera, you can be in your own pictures. So you've got you've effectively turned the world into your own photographer. Um, you can use this little gorilla pod to hold up your camera wherever you like, pretty much, as long as there's a surface or or vertical <laughs> structure that you can attach it to. Mm-hmm. You can use it. And they have different models for different kinds of cameras, everything from your basic little compact point and shoot to uh, to a full sized professional camera. Uh, neat things. Um, so that's a, there's a tip for you. Make sure you, you keep your camera nice and steady. And if uh, if possible, use whatever is at your uh, disposal in the area. And that way you can you can get a, a much sharper picture. 
Yeah, um, speaking as a former newspaper reporter at a small paper, um, you know, we had to, we had to do a little bit of everything, um, you know, writing, editing, uh, paste up, layout, photography. Um, I could tell you that, um, you know, if you don't happen to have a tripod handy, um, especially in, in events where people are doing a lot of moving around or you need to pick up and move quickly, um, say for example, sports, mm-hmm. um, you can always use yourself. You know, if you can get yourself in a steady position or lean against something and, and steady your arm, mm. um, just having a pole or something to, to kind of lean up against and, and take some of the, uh, you, you know, humanity out of it. Yeah, the jittery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that, that'll go a long way. And, uh, you know, another thing that I was thinking about, you know, just that you, you know, suggested about, uh, blurry pictures, um, light has a lot to do with it. Yes. You're going to have to keep in mind if you're using, uh, especially, you know, using a digital camera, that uh, the less light you have, the more likely uh, it's going to have a problem focusing. So um, it's going to try and compensate for the light, uh, the lack of light in the room. And when it does that, it's going to leave the shutter open a little bit longer. And if you're moving, you're going to blur the picture. Right. So uh, try to... That's going to be especially important to try to keep steady when you're in a low light situation because of that of that problem. Yeah, you can actually adjust the shutter speed on many cameras. So you could theoretically make the shutter move faster. But in a low light environment, that may mean the camera cannot get enough light for that that picture to come out very well. But uh, there are ways to fix that in post, as we like to say. (laughs) So uh, so really, when it comes to lighting and and, uh, if, if you become familiar with some photo editing software, uh, you might be able to compensate for dim lighting a little better than you could for, say, a blurry picture. True. So true. if you have to choose between the two, I would go with uh, uh, making the shutter speed a little faster uh, and dealing with the dark, the dim condition rather than um, than having to try and compensate for a blurry picture. But here's the nice thing about digital cameras. Oh yeah, you can see what the picture looks like immediately after you take it, and. It's in a digital format. You don't have to keep it. You can delete it right then and there, and you can keep on taking pictures. So here's another tip for you. Uh huh. Try out your camera's settings. Now, I'm really guilty of this. I tend to use three or four settings a lot because I happen to know they work pretty well. Oh, yeah. But I don't necessarily try all of them. And I remember I uh, was using my digital camera um, at an event, and I had accidentally changed the settings because it, it used a little uh, wheel to set the settings, you know, and right. I accidentally thumbed when I opened it up, I thumbed the wheel to a different position mm-hmm. and my pictures came out um, very, very well. And I was like, wow, I'm, I've gotten a lot better at taking photos. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't on the setting. I, oh, and then I realized that the setting I was using was not necessarily the most effective one for the situation I was in. So my suggestion is Test out your different settings and do it in a different, in several different environments. So, uh, you know, just, just, Play with it. Find out which settings seem to work in the best uh, situations. So for things where you're doing a lot of fast action and bright lights, you you could clearly you could uh, make the shutter speed much shorter then. Um, and if it's in a dim situation, find out if it's better to keep a longer shutter speed or if it's better to just try and deal with the dim images in a photo editing program later on down the line. Yep. Yep. That's true. Um and you know it's it's funny that that you would say that talking about uh different settings on your camera i mean mm-hmm. uh, 
that little book that they give you in the box yeah. with the camera, they will actually tell you what all those buttons and, and gizmos do. You are kidding me. But uh, And this isn't really a tip or trick, but this is just sort of a thing to think about. And I don't think a lot of us think about it. I think we you know, haul our camera off to shoot something at our uh, kids' soccer game or you know, to some, some other event, family event, and we shoot pictures and then we just don't think about it. You know, that's one of those cool things about a digital camera. You can shoot as much as you want. So why not take your camera out when there's nothing riding on it? You know, right. there's no, sure. there's nothing big going on. There's nothing to ruin if you go out and play around with your camera settings. And it's not like you have to go spend a lot of money on film developing. You know, yeah. it's a digital camera. You can yeah. delete everything if you want. You to. could buy an extra smart card for a, a fairly low amount, comparatively sure. speaking. And then you even have a couple smart cards that you can swap out and, you know, fill up one. And you're like, well, let's try it on. Let's try taking the same photos, but on a different resolution setting. Right. Uh, that's another good tip is if you are finding that uh, that your camera uh, capacity fills up far too quickly. It might be that you you might have set the quality standards a little too high. <laughs> um, it turns out like th- this goes back to the megapixels discussion we had earlier. Uh, if you set it to the to the highest settings and start taking pictures, those individual pictures are going to be very large files. Uh, and won't necessarily make your picture look better either unless you're taking something like a, a very wide photo and you want the ability to zoom in afterward to a specific point and you don't want the resolution to suffer because of that. Uh, if you're, or if you want to print a really large print in either of those cases, then yeah, you probably want to use the highest resolution possible, but otherwise you probably don't need the highest resolution and you'll be able to take far more pictures that way because the file sizes will be much smaller. That's true. And you know, I was thinking, um, and I was actually reading on uh, a post by uh, Rick Mishlesky of MacLife. I hope I got his name right. Um, he did a, a, an essay on MacLife.com about um, sports photography because he was mm-hmm. shooting pictures of his daughter's rugby game. Uh, apparently, she played for Stanford. Wow. And um, he was talking about shooting practice photos. But um, what he said was you need to uh, – and this is this is, again, sort of not a camera trick. But it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, he said one thing that to do is if you're going to shoot something like sports photography, watch the people, like find out who the players to watch are. If you know number 14 is the playmaker, well, get yourself in a situation where you're going to be able to get a clear shot at this particular person and um, kind of watch for a few minutes to see what he or she is going to do. Because um, if you get an idea from body language that something big's about to happen, that they're going to make a break for the ball or something like that, you can set yourself up to get a great shot. And the better you can focus on their face, even more so than the action involved, you might get a really fantastic sports photo that you might not have gotten. But um, on the other hand, it also helps to have the right equipment because – some cameras aren't set up to do sports photography. You need, you know, the, the ability to, um, to shoot a lot of photos quickly. Right. Um, sort of like the, uh, the Canon or no, not Canon, the Casio camera that we saw at CES 2008 that shoots, uh, 60 frames per second. Right. Um, yeah, it's usually called burst photography. Exactly. Um, something that will shoot that and, and it will even, um, shoot photos before you, if you hold down the, uh, you know, sort of half press the shutter button, mm. it'll actually start shooting photos before. So you, it's sort of like a TiVo. You can sort of back up 
and look at some of the photos before. So if you happen to be just a fraction of a second off and go, oh, I missed a shot, you can back up and look to see maybe you actually did get it. That scares me. It's a camera that knows you want to take a picture. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing about that is is that's not you. That's really the camera itself. It's not a trick that you can learn to do that. No, it's a, um, the trick is getting the right buying, camera. Yeah, right. spending the money for it. And that was a uh, at, at the time of release. I'm, I think they've come out with a, a camera that supplants that even. It was $1,000 worth of camera. And a lot of us can't afford that. Yeah, there's a $600 Casio now that takes, I think, 40 a second. Yeah. So it's a little slower, but it's also significantly wow. cheaper. Um, but yeah, yeah, the wonderful thing about that is, of course, you can flip through all those different photos and, and, you know, there, you might think, wow, did I catch that one moment? And it, there's a good chance you did if it's taking that many, uh, a second. In fact, you may find like five or six pictures that you really have trouble deciding on between the, the group of them. Um, I've got a, uh, a similar, very, very basic tip, uh, okay. that you kind of touched on there, uh-huh. which is that if you are preparing to take a photo and you know that something is about to happen, and you know, this happened to me a lot before I realized there was a very simple solution, uh, where I would take a photo of something, but I would get the moment immediately after the moment I wanted to catch. Hold down the button halfway. That yep. will prepare your camera. It'll lock focus. So it'll find the, it'll, essentially it, it focuses on the central figure that's in the frame. Um, it'll lock the focus and prepare for a photo. So when that moment happens, all you have to do is press it down the rest of the way and it'll take the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, this will save you the heartache of, wow, I got the back of my daughter's leg in the frame while she ran by because right. I was preparing a second too late. Uh, and in a similar vein, Let's say that you want to take a picture and you don't want to do the normal, like, let's have the person standing in the middle of the frame of the photo. You want something a little cooler. You want them to be off to the side of the frame and you want to have a little bit of the background in there. But every time you try and take the photo, you're getting the background in focus, not the, not the person, not the, the person you want to capture. Uh, my suggestion then is first frame the picture as if that person is in the center. Mm-hmm. Half and press that button halfway down. That'll lock the focus. Then you can adjust your position so that you are pointing in the, you've got the picture framed the way you really want it. And the focus will stay the same. You can press the button the rest of the way down. You got your picture. There you go. I actually have, uh, two that sort of relate to, uh, to the things that you touched on just then. Um, one was, uh, I was reading some of, uh, David Pogue of the New York Times. Right. Uh, he had a, a, um, post where he talked about some different things that you can do to improve your photography. And, um, I have a, at CES 2008 again, uh, I had my little Olympus 2.1 megapixel, uh, which shoots pretty good photos really, but, um, there's a problem, you know, it's a, it's an older point and shoot. And I kept having trouble getting the moment. Like I would, I would set up and I got where I wanted to go and I pushed the button and nothing would happen. Well, that's, called shutter lag and pressing half pressing the button down and and having the camera focus also reduces the shutter lag time mm-hmm. because the camera is ready to take a picture so when you completely press the button down the rest of the way it should go ahead and take the picture without that that extra shutter lag because the the uh camera is not trying to figure out what's going on right but um i read in national geographic and uh you know they're reasonably decent with their photography yeah they know stuff. a two, thing or two about taking pictures maybe even 3 maybe um, they were suggesting that when you're composing your picture, you should imagine that the screen is divided up into nine segments, basically mm. like a, a tic-tac-toe board. And, um, you want to center your subject at the intersection of the, the lines, 
basically it's called the rule of thirds and you're trying to, to get them in that position, uh, to basically help you compose the picture better and, and get more of a, a better composition. Um, you know, and hopefully you won't cut off the top of their head or right. something. Well, that's that's actually really important because, uh, you know, all the tips and tricks aren't going to help you if you don't if you don't develop your own skill as a photographer. That's true. Um, you might practice, get practice, some practice. Right. You might get some nice pictures, but you're not you know, you're not going to maximize your your uh, uh, use of that camera without a little work on your part. Um, I've got another uh, basic tip that I learned about uh, while researching this. I had something I did not know. Yeah. If you wanted to take a portrait photo of someone. Mm hmm. And the thing I read was that the best the best way to take a portrait photo is let's say you have a camera that has uh, three to five times zooming capability. Mm-hmm. The suggestion was to zoom all the way in, like as, as tight as possible, and then hold the camera vertically so you get the vertical portrait picture, and then uh, move toward your subject until your subject fills the frame the way you want. And then take the photo that way. Uh-huh. So to actually zoom in all the way. Now, if you have a camera that has a more powerful zoom, like an eight to ten times, you would only zoom in about halfway for that. But that this will help you get a um, a better photo of your subject. And I didn't know that. Um, another good one that I didn't know is that if you're taking a picture outside, you may want to still turn your flash on. That's true. Uh, it can help uh, the the flash from your camera and the uh, the ambient light. Uh, your camera can uh, can take all of that into consideration. It's called fill-in flash, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, this will help you if you want to take a picture of a subject that perhaps the lighting source is to the side or maybe slightly behind that person or object. Uh, the flash can help uh, fill that in. However, you have to keep in mind, camera flash has a very limited range. Uh, anything beyond about 10 feet is not going to be effective, so you want to keep that fairly close. So you mean if you if you took your little point and shoot uh with the little itty bitty flash and you go to say oh I don't know the Olympics and you're in the nosebleed section and you have the flash turned on and you're trying to get something that's going on down on the field it, the flash might not illuminate that Yeah I was actually thinking of uh WrestleMania if you're at WrestleMania <laughs> and you are in the nosebleed section and you want to get a picture of the Undertaker as he delivers a tombstone pile driver to John Cena uh thug life then it's that flash is probably not going to help despite the fact that every time I watch WrestleMania all I see are flashes in the background people cut it out Actually it's kind of cool looking for those of us watching at home but yeah. Anyway. For those of us who actually have attended the uh, event, it's just really annoying. Okay. All right. You, that, you seem to have a personal investment in this. And I'm I just leave happen alone. to enjoy the art of the squared circle. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, oh, oh, I had oh. another one about an outdoor shot. Okay. Polarizing filters. Oh, yeah. So let's say that you want to take a shot of a uh, a scene that's really, really bright. There's maybe some glare. Uh, like I was, uh, I took a cruise up in Alaska several years ago and there was this gorgeous glacier. I wanted to take a picture, but it was a cloudless day. Uh-huh. And the problem was that the ocean water, the glacier and the sky were almost all the same color. <laughs> it was this very, very, very whitish, bluish color. And uh-huh. it was really hard to tell where the ocean ended, the sky began and where the glacier was at all. Um, a polarizing filter can help take that down a little bit so you get a little better definition. But let's say that you have a regular little point and shoot camera. You know, you don't have 
the polarizing filter, what do you do then? Well, if you happen to have a nice pair of sunglasses, mm-hmm. this can actually work. You can hold the sunglasses in front of the lens of your camera and take a photo there, and it will act as a polarizing lens. You do want to make sure that uh, you don't have any of the edges of the sunglasses in the frame when you take the picture, though. <laughs> but it does work. It, it's not as good as a professional filter, not by a long shot, but it can work in a pinch. You know, professional filters aren't really all that expensive, and that's something else that you can do to uh, you know fool around with and, and start seeing how, what kind of effects you can have with your photos. Um, another nice effect that a polarizing filter has that has nothing to do with any of that is uh, if you happen to keep one on your camera and something scratches the filter, you can replace the filter, but you may not be able to replace the lens. Right. Or if you um, if you have a camera where you can replace the lens, it's going to cost you more than a filter would. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, you know, it's just something to consider. No, that's a good point. Um, I have a lot more tips. We're, we're sort of running out of time. I have a couple weird ones that I wanted to touch on. All right, let's hit the weird ones. Okay. One of the other things that David Pogue said, and I find this a little strange, he said that a lampshade socket could make a good tripod mount. Huh? He said it happens to be the exact size. Of a, uh, of the, the section that you would, I guess, attach to the top of the tripod. Um, which I'm admittedly having a little bit of difficulty visualizing. I also think it might be a good idea to unplug the light. I was just about to say that. <laughs> um, but I don't, you know, I kind of don't deny it. I mean, if your camera's not heavy enough and it fits and it's unplugged and you don't electrocute yourself or anyone else or destroy your camera, it seems like it might, you know, do in a pinch. I wouldn't write. I, I don't know. I'd have trouble th- recommending that, but I did read it and, it, you know, David Pogue suggested it. So, um, you should know a thing or two. The other, the other weird thing. And, um, you know, I don't, I read a lot of tech blogs, but I read a lot of other blogs. And, um, one of the others, uh, the candy dish blog, cause I like checking out the new sugary stuff. Oddly, Carl from the candy dish blog, uh, had a link today on the day that I, I were recording this. To a flicker set where somebody had actually used gummy bears. It stuck gummy bears to their flash and it, they shot, the flash goes through, you know, the, the gummy bear distorts the light and makes, it's sort of like using gels. They're different colored, like a green or a red gel and just a very odd and low cost yet sticky solution if you happen to need that. One wonders if fruit roll-ups would work just as well. I, I don't know. You know, they, they can be, uh, a little harder to manage, I'm guessing, depending on the size of the flash. I was just thinking like a fruit roll-up, you could cut to the right size. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, it'll be thinner than a gummy bear. Yeah. We might need to do some research and yeah, get back to you on yeah, this. Yeah, if nothing else, it'll help snack time. I know, and I, I could use one of those right now. I actually. could too. So anyway. So uh, so you're, you're all tipped out? Yeah, th- those are my, my weird, weird ones. Weird tips? Yeah. Excellent. Well, we hope that uh, you found these tips helpful. Um, I guess that just brings us to... Uh-oh. Listener Mail! Seriously, dude. Okay, so today's Listener Mail comes from Jose... And Jose has to say, <clears throat> Chris and Jonathan, I love your podcast and have heard all of them. There are a lot of myths when it comes to cables, and I'm glad that for the most part, you did a lot to dispel those myths. The fact that you brought up James Randi, which is one of my favorite people, was cool, too. And I, I happen to like Randy as well, so that was that was a no-brainer. But he goes on to say... One thing that you need to consider about audio and video paraphernalia is that you set, your setup is only as good as your weakest link. 
strictly from a sound quality standpoint. It doesn't do you any good if to buy a cable aside from the one that comes with your stereo, because if you open up your shiny new speaker, voiding the warranty in most cases, you'll notice that the cable between the connection terminal and the actual speaker is the same cheap cable that came with the stereo. <gasps> Even if you bought a $1,000 cable, your weakest link is still in the speaker and it cancels out any advantage a better cable could have offered. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Jose. Thanks a lot, Jose. That's a really good point. Uh, just like any system, it's only as strong as its weakest link. Now, if it happens to be really well-made speakers and uh, that link is fine, then sure, your cable may end up being your weakest link. Or if it's something about the connectors themselves, that could be it. But you make a very good point. Uh, there's some things that are beyond your control, and no matter how expensive a cable you buy, it's not going to make it sound any better. That's kind of sa- sorry to think about, you know, trying to imagine that you'd spend all this money on fancy equipment and the, uh, the people who made the fancy equipment skimped on the inside. Yes, so I'll be handing out pitch, uh, pitchforks and torches after the show. Excellent. And if you have anything you want to say to us, any comments or suggestions or questions or, or even corrections, you can feel free to write us at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, we have a blog up now. It's called Tech Stuff, and you can find that right off the homepage of howstuffworks.com. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?